Before I get into the message this morning, one thing I want to do is here. who were here yesterday for the church work day. Uh, thank you so much for the work that you put today. We got a lot accomplished, and uh, we're going to try to a right now. <laughs> okay, we're going with this for now. Um, I, I do want to really thank you for all the work that you did yesterday. We really got a lot done, and, um, and, and that is so encouraging. Uh, it really is. Number one, because it saves the church thousands of dollars every time we do this. And that's big. That certainly makes my job easier. And um, it was just a, a great encouragement to me to see everybody come together and, uh, and take care of all these different things. Uh, we really did get a lot done. And um, just so you know, if, uh, if you have time on your hands in the future and, and you're thinking, you know, I couldn't make it to the church work day, but I'd love to help out in some way, just contact our office. We always have jobs available that need to be done. There's plenty of stuff, and so if you've got some time available and you want to just find out how you can help out, uh, go ahead and call the office at any time. We'll put you to work, I guarantee it. Well, happy Mother's Day from me to all you moms as well. Uh, this is a great day to celebrate. I can't be with my mom today, but she is going to be here next Sunday, so I'm grateful for that, and uh, I'm grateful that, uh, that Kim's mom is here with us today, and so that's a, that's a big deal, and happy Mother's Day, Mom. And uh, we're just looking forward to some great time of celebration ahead. Now, naturally, I've been thinking about my mom a lot this past week, and that definitely led me to what uh, I would like to share with you this morning. Because when I think about my mom and when I think about my kid's mom, Kim, there's one word that continually comes to mind, and that word <laughs> is not technology. How are we doing? We all right? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think we're good. <laughs> okay, got that passed. Um, the one word that always comes to mind for me when I think about my mom and about uh, my kid's mom, that word is encouragement. And that's where I want us to spend some time today, is looking at this idea of encouragement and uh, what it is, the, the value that it has in our lives and in the lives of others, and just the whole depth of that. It has such a tremendous influence on every one of us and gives us the opportunity to influence so many around us. So that's where I want to be. And this, this word encouragement is a great, great word. It comes from the Greek word paraklesis, uh, which is a word made up of two words. Para, which means by the side, and kaleo, which means to call. And so it's a calling to come alongside, to come to someone else's aid. And as a verb, it's used in the sense of urging another forward, instilling courage in them. So it's no surprise then that the Holy Spirit is often re referred to as the paraclete, the one who comes alongside us, the one who encourages us, the one who gives us strength. It's in the very nature of God to do that for us. And when people come alongside of us, especially at difficult times, it gives us renewed courage, a renewed spirit, renewed hope, it has a lot of value for us, and that is a powerful, powerful influence. People put courage into us, and I've had people do this for me, and I trust that you have as well. Uh, when I was a teenager and a young adult, I was definitely a courage-less young man. Um, I've talked about that a bit here before. I was scared of almost everything and everyone. People in particular terrified me. 
I couldn't talk on the phone, let alone in person, to somebody that I didn't know. I had a hard enough time talking with people that I did know. I couldn't go to a place that I wasn't familiar with. I was completely thrown off by unfamiliar situations. And one such situation that stands out in my mind clearly to this day um, has to do with uh, an experience I had when I was a young man. And this was actually in an area where I did have some level of courage. It was the area of food. Now, I do have some courage in the area of food. Number one, because food doesn't talk back to you. It's not going to judge you. It's not going to look at me funny. And so I had courage in food, and I was into trying different things. Um, I'm, I really like that show Bizarre Foods on the Travel Channel. Uh, this guy is hosted by this guy named Andrew Zimmer, and he's from here in the Twin Cities. And basically what he does is travel the globe and go from culture to culture and explores and tries these different weird, bizarre foods that they have as part of their diet. Uh, so no surprise then that he did one whole feature on the Minnesota State Fair. Uh, so congratulations on that honor. <laughs> so here I was as a young man, and I was... Uh, uh, I had heard about this restaurant that opened uh, very near to where I worked. And so at lunch one day, I headed out and, and I went to try this new restaurant. And I'd heard good things about it. I heard it was a Chinese food restaurant and that definitely appealed to me. And, and so I got to this restaurant and, and went in the door and was seated by the host. He was very polite and led me to my table. And, and I just began to watch what was going on around me. And, and it was the most interesting thing. There were all these little old Asian ladies, and they were all pushing carts around the dining room. And on top of the cart, there were all these plates of food, this wonderful-looking stuff all there on the carts. And so I was watching all this go on, and after a few minutes, one of these ladies made her way over to my table and, um, and then picked up one of the plates of food and held it out to me and just looked at me with this curious look on her face. Now, she obviously couldn't speak English. As it turns out, none of the, the ladies that were doing that could. But she held this plate of food out to me, and I didn't know exactly what she wanted, and I didn't know exactly what was on that plate, but I knew I wanted to eat it. And so I smiled and pointed at my table, and she put it down in front of me. And a minute later, somebody else came by with a, with a different cart and held something out, and, and I smiled and pointed, and we went through the smiling and pointing ritual numerous times, and suddenly I got all this food on, on the table in front of me, and I'm pretty excited, but then things take a terrible turn because I realized I have no idea what's going on here. I'm not sure how this is supposed to work. There was no sign on the window that explained this. There's nothing on my table that I could read and go, okay, here's what we're doing. Was I going to have to pay for every single plate on my table? I mean, they were looking pretty good. Maybe I just chose all the most expensive things in the restaurant, and I've got $150 worth of food sitting there on the table in front of me. I didn't know. And I knew that I couldn't ask the ladies, and, and I was starting to realize I'm going to have to ask somebody. And so the panic started to well up in me. And it reached a boiling point. And do you know what I did? I bolted. <laughs> I did. I got up and like a criminal, I ran out the front door of the restaurant. I ran down a block and around the corner before I stopped running. It was, it was absolutely ridiculous. And I remember as I'm booking it down the sidewalk, I look back over my shoulder and, and here's the host looking down the street just going, <laughs> going like this, like, what am I doing? I hadn't even eaten a bite but I'm running like some mad criminal down the, down the sidewalk trying to get away. What was it that made me do that? Why was I doing that? Well, it was fear, 
just pure fear and a total lack of courage. Last week I got a call from a, a close friend of mine in Michigan and I consider this guy to be fearless. Uh, he's a black belt in karate. He's in the guns and trucks. He doesn't back away from anything. Um, his stories are unbelievable and you'll hear some of those stories over the years to come. And um, I've just considered him to be the most fearless person I've ever met. And do you know what he told me in that conversation on the phone last week? He said, Paul, you are the most courageous person I've ever met. How in the world is that possible? Now, sure, he didn't know me when I was running from restaurant staff. <laughs> but how in the world did I get from that to now? How was that possible that somebody could look at me and think that? Well, let me tell you, it has nothing to do with me taking some sort of self-improvement class to acknowledge my self-worth. It was not a motivational speaker that turned me around. It was not grit and determination. It wasn't some level of success in my life that made me feel like I was better than somebody else so I shouldn't be afraid of them. It was none of those things. One by one, God put people in my life to come alongside me and encourage me, to give me courage. That's how that happened. It started with my mom and my dad. I've been blessed that way, and I definitely don't take that for granted. And that's why they'll be here next week for my installation service. I'm excited about that. And from there, it grew to, a, to, to numerous individuals who obeyed God's call on them to be encouragers, to come alongside in every place that I've lived, there have been individuals, encouragers who have come alongside me, and I remember those people well. In college, there were two guys, Tom and Sean. They believed in me, and they came alongside me. In Haiti, there was a guy named Marty who walked with me through some of the darkest period of my life, and he encouraged me. He helped me keep my eyes on the light at the end of the tunnel. In Bible college, there was a professor named Thirumalai who saw something in me that I didn't even know existed and gave me the courage to excel in college. Gary Hip and Jeff Ketchum, two names that many of you know, encouraged me tremendously during our time with Mission Moving Mountains and I was shaped by these men. And many of you here at Chapel Hill Church, and I won't get into listing names of those of you who came alongside me from the get-go here. It's meant the world to me, and you have contributed to the shaping of me as a person. And I thank you very, very much for that. And most significantly on this list is my wife. Somehow, she figures out a way to encourage me no matter what we're going through, without fail. I want you to think of those in your life who have been encouragers for you. I want you to get in your head the image and name of a person who has been an encouragement to you in your life. Got that person in your head? Now I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them the first name of that person, okay? Go. Now listen, that's a lot of encouragers that I'm hearing out there. There are a lot of names floating around out here, and that's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. God has put encouragers in our lives for a reason. 
and we need to praise God for those people. Now, how many of you would like to hear your name mentioned in a setting like this? Wouldn't you like to hear your name mentioned as an encourager? When someone else talks about the encouragement they've received, your name comes up. I think we all want that. Every one of us wants to be known as an encourager. So this morning, I want to look at four simple things with you that we should remember if we want to be be someone who takes up the role of of an encourager in someone else's life. Do you want to be an influential person? I know that many of you are already, and so I hope this is something that will help you do it even better. Encouragement is not necessarily just a random thing that we do. Being a little intentional about it can really enhance the encouragement you offer and the effect that's carried on as a result, and we'll talk about that lasting effect in a little while. But the first step in the encouragement experience is look See, because here's our biggest obstacle to being encouragers. We spend a lot of time here looking at ourselves. We spend a lot of time thinking his mirror is much nicer than mine. We spend a lot of time thinking my mirror is much nicer than hers, and I hope she notices that. (laughs) We spend a lot of time looking at ourselves and going, why can't people see me as an encourager? I have a good heart. I have an awesome nose. (laughs) And we waste a lot of time with something in front of us that becomes this huge obstacle to us being an encourager. It's ourselves. It's our selfishness. It's a focus on us. And it's pretty difficult to see someone, anybody else, when you're consumed with yourself. And the Bible points that out so many times. The need for us to consider others is more important than ourselves to get our focus off ourselves. And there's a reason for that. We were made in the image of God and we're to reflect the image of God to those around us who were also made in his image and who are looking desperately to see that image in somebody else. But far too often, they're too wrapped up in themselves as well to be reflectors of that image. So we're the ones that are to set the example. That's why Paul said in his writings for for the people in in the church in that time to follow his example. We are the example. We're the ones. And in looking for others, we're going to discover that there are opportunities all around us to be encouragers and make sure that you're looking beyond yourself. Put the mirror down. There are many faces on the other side of it and you need to get rid of that obstacle. We've got to do that regularly. That's keeping us from seeing others and the opportunity to encourage. You know, moms are pretty good at seeing beyond themselves, aren't they? The amount of time that they sacrifice, the amount of energy they sacrifice for the sake of their children, for their families, is inspiring. My wife spends very little time focusing on herself. She cares for and encourages me and our precious boys, and her life comes somewhere way down the list. The second simple step in the practice of encouragement is this. Listen. Listen. What is the world around you saying? See, if we listen well... We're going to hear the word say something that every one of us is saying. And it's simply this. I want to be loved. I want to be loved. We live in a disillusioned world in which most people are desperate to be loved because they just don't have anyone doing that for them. So we need to learn to listen to the people around us. We need to listen at home. 
We can't just take for granted that our kids and our spouses are having that need met simply because they live under the same roof as us. Or simply because, well, we're all Christians, so that's taken care of, right? Now our families need to be loved. Listen to that reality being stated in the way that they act, in the way that they interact, in the way that they respond, and of course in the words that they say. We were putting the kids to bed the other night, and uh, Jude, our little redhead, was, was looking at Kim and um, just, just looking at her face for a little while. And, and then all of a sudden, he just turned around, put his head on the pillow, facing the other way. And after, <laughs> after a while, a, a little bit of silence, which is not typical for bedtime, um, my wife leaned over and, and looked at his face, and, and here he is, silently sobbing into his pillow. And she says, uh, Jude, what's wrong? And he looks up at her with tears streaming down his face and he says, you didn't smile at me. <laughs> and of course he's being totally melodramatic because he was exhausted at the end of a long day. Uh, he gets smiled at more than enough. But, uh, <laughs> but people are not always going to communicate that clearly. Look for ways that, that, that your family is communicating to you. Listen to them. Be a good listener. We need to listen in our places of work. And it won't take long to hear those around us expressing in some way their need to be loved. And wouldn't it be nice to be known as the person who is an encourager at work? Wouldn't it be nice to set that example, to create that environment there? I mean, it would go counterculture to what you often find in your workplace. That's not what happens in the break room every day. People don't just sit around and encourage each other. You have an opportunity there. Imagine what you would do by setting an example of encouragement, of coming alongside people. It really is amazing when you truly listen to the ways in which people are expressing their need to be loved. Don't wait for their stories to make the news. That's where we can so obviously see this, this, this need demonstrated. Story after sad story of what happened when people who need to be loved were not having that need met, were not being heard and acted out in a way that they were thinking would just get them the attention that they were looking for. And it ends up in tragedy and disaster. Keep the people around you out of the news. Listen to what they're saying about their need to be loved. Be a student of people. And, and yes, this still applies to those of us who work in a Christian environment. We don't just assume that that's being taken care of for every one of our co-workers. Listen to them. That need is there. I'm thrilled about the privilege that I have to work with our staff here at Chapel Hill. Uh, I'm really excited about the opportunities I will have to encourage them in their ministries, in their personal lives, to listen to them and figure out where it is that they're coming from. Um, I also get to start that soon with someone new. Uh, we now have a youth pastor and that's exciting, isn't it? This past Tuesday, he and his wife accepted the, uh, the call to come and fill this position here at Chapel Hill Church. And uh, they'll start in mid-June. Um, I am just absolutely thrilled with this young man. His name is Josh. He comes out of uh, six years in the youth ministry at Wooddale. 
And I can't tell you how excited I am about this role that he's going to fill. God has answered your prayers in a big way. I was very concerned about this. I carried a lot of anxiety. I shouldn't have, I know. But I did (laughs) over how my teens were going to be taken care of. And that anxiety is gone. That concern has been lifted. Josh is a young man who... um, who has a great passion for youth ministry. He's very relational. He's very wise and mature and has demonstrated some things that, that have once again shown me that God will exceed my expectations. And I am really, really excited about how his plan is going to play out here. I'm looking forward to, to working with him and I think he's going to bring a lot to the staff here. So praise God for that. Um, you'll get to meet him soon. But um, just spend some time thanking God for his provision and plan. Listen to those in your community. Do you know what's going on around you in your neighborhood? Do you have any idea of how desperate the need for encouragement is just within 50 yards of your house? Don't just see your neighbors. We're coming into the summer months here and um, they're going to be outside, you're going to be outside Go and engage with them. Listen to them. They're there and they need encouragement. Listen to what's going on in their lives. Offer a word, an act of encouragement. But acknowledge the fact that most of the people around us are not content. Get beneath the surface of the masks that many of your neighbors wear. Encourage them. And listen to your church family. How many of you have ever arrived at church on a Sunday morning needing to be encouraged? Yeah, I know I have many, many times, without question. And I know that this is a place where I can find that. And that's a big thing. God uses our time together to meet our need for encouragement. He uses us, uh, he encourages us through the word, through the worship, and also through each one of us here. Every Sunday we have people walk through those doors who need to be encouraged. Many of them are visiting because they're looking for a community that will come alongside and be those encouragers to them. And we've got to be encouragers. We've got to be those people. We have to meet that need. People need us. We need us. When Peter gives us that three-minute greeting time that scares some of you so much, Guess what your, insi- your assignment is during that time? It's to encourage. It's to encourage. Listen to each other and encourage. It's three minutes of your life that God can use to alter the course of another's life. It is influence time. So let me push you a little bit. We're going to give you that three minutes once in a while, but I want to challenge you to create three minutes on a Sunday sometime on your own. Not in the middle of a service. Um, that's just going to be embarrassing if some, everyone else is moving on and, and you've got somebody trapped in your little encouragement web. <laughs> but take that time. What would be so impossible about making a three-minute commitment to encourage somebody on a Sunday morning? That ought to come naturally to us. But if it doesn't come naturally to us, make it happen until it does. Start with three minutes. Listen to an individual here in your church family. And watch what God does when you do listen. Now, there's something else that you're going to hear when you truly listen. And all of us will state in one way or another our need to be loved. 
We want to be noticed. We don't want to be passed over. That's a natural human experience. But you'll also hear people express their need to love. Not just to be loved, but to love. Now this became very clear to me in some of the tragedies that have taken place, uh, even in this last year. Here we are as a, as a nation in the midst of a serious recession, but look at the response to the earthquake in Haiti. All of a sudden, hundreds of millions of dollars are mobilized by a nation that is in economic crisis. People in mass came forward to give and to serve not just for Haiti. Um, believe it or not, the Salvation Army reported that this last year they had their best year ever in the Twin Cities. Ever. Why is that? Well, I think it's because people have a need to love. And I want to encourage you towards such an opportunity right now this morning. Um, this coming Saturday is the annual Amnion Crisis Pregnancy Center Walk for Life. Um, talk about a good cause. Uh, my wife and I are beneficiaries of such a cause. Uh, we adopted all three of our sons through an organization like Amnion. Uh, Lisa Doolittle is going to be at a table in the back hall here after the service. And I would encourage you to see what you can do. Um, this Saturday, they do, they're doing a walk to, to raise funds. Um, if you've got time this Saturday, do it. Sign up and do it. This is an amazing cause. If you do not have time this Saturday, and I do understand the, the tyranny of our schedules, how can you support Lisa in her walk? Stop by the table out there. Make a donation. Make a pledge. But get involved. It's a great opportunity. Listen to the world around you. Express the reality that they need to be loved and to love. I've been reading a great book written by uh, Dr. David Jeremiah, and it's called The Power of Encouragement. Listen to this quote from that book. We are shaped by those who love us or refuse to love us, and by those whom we love or refuse to love. Let me read that again. We are shaped by those who love us or refuse to love us, and by those whom we love or refuse to love. And I think he nailed it there. Now make it a little more personal. Put a name in there. My wife Kim is shaped by those who love her and who refuse to love her. And she's shaped by those she loves and those she refuses to love. My kids are shaped this way. My coworkers are shaped this way. My brothers and sisters in Christ are shaped this way. My neighbor is shaped this way. Are you starting to understand the kind of influence that you have on those around you. That's the power of encouragement. The third step in the process of encouragement is learn. Learn. What is it that's going to encourage someone the most? And this comes from listening and then exploring a little bit. Years ago, there was much buzz about this concept of, of what our love language is. Uh, it was a great step forward because it helped us to realize that there is a certain approach to encouraging someone that, that may be dramatically more effective than another approach. What is it that's going to be most effective in reaching into the heart of somebody else? Be intentional about discovering what that is. A hug is not very encouraging to somebody who hates to be touched. There are things we've got to learn about this. The intention is there, but the execution is missing and the power of encouragement is lost in something like that. So learn what the approach should be. Is it a letter Written encouragement can be so powerful. 
Is it a touch, a visit, a gift, an invitation, an act of service? Learn how you can best be an encourager to another. And if you can't see it right away, keep listening, keep looking, ask. Try something and fail and learn from it and try something else. Uh, as missionaries, we got to experience the, the feeble attempts of others to encourage um, up close. Um, I spent three years in Haiti with a Mennonite organization. And um, the, the uh, older population in the Mennonite community had a reputation for this. Um, elderly Mennonite women, where I was from, uh, would have tea in the afternoon. And then they would take their tea bags, wrap them up, package them, and send them to us missionaries after they were done with them. Now, this wasn't very encouraging to me. <laughs> this didn't do anything to build my sense of self-worth. They had good intentions, but they weren't carrying through very well on those intentions. Learn how to encourage those around you effectively. The last step in this process that I want to touch on is the most obvious one, and that's love. Love. 1 Corinthians 14.1 says we are to follow the way of love. 1 Corinthians 16.14 says we are to do everything in love. Ephesians 4.2 says we are to bear with one another in love. Ephesians 5.2 says we are to live a life of love. Ephesians 4.15 tells us to speak the truth in love. And folks, how often have we abused this verse and used it to justify our desire to cut somebody else down as long as we do it in love because we think it's the truth. That's not what this verse is talking about. Colossians 3, verses 12 to 14 exhorts us to put on love. 2 Timothy 2.22 says that we're to pursue love. Hebrews 10.24 challenges us to spur one another on to love. 1 John 3.18 tells us to love not only in words but in actions and truth. Galatians 5.22 points out that under the control of the Holy Spirit we will bear the fruit of love. And three times in Paul's epistles and once in Peter's writings we're told to continue to grow in love. Pretty tough to avoid the topic of love in God's word because God is love and since we're made in his image, we have the capacity to reflect that character to the world around us and it's a world that'll be greatly encouraged if it sees love in action. Look, listen, learn, and love. It's a very powerful practice of encouragement and if we just put that into practice on a daily basis, imagine the impact. Imagine the influence that we would have. Have you been encouraged by someone? Then be an encourager. 2 Corinthians 1 verses 3 and 4 say this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. My mom took up that charge. She has consistently passed on the encouragement that she's received from God to me. And I understand that you may not have received that kind of encouragement from your mother. But it is available to you through God's Holy Spirit, the comforter, the paraclete, the encourager, the one who comes alongside us. And he has been even more of an encourager to me than any person could possibly be. And now it's mine to pass on. Dr. Jeremiah refers to encouragement as an uncommon opportunity to begin a never-ending process. 
He compares it to a stone thrown into a still pool of water. It always has an immediate impact, but the ripple effect continues indefinitely. And I want to close this morning by sharing a story with you from the book that I've been quoting. The story is called A Round Trip Encouragement. I want you to listen to the the details of how all this took place. Joseph Bailey was a bold and creative writer who made a great contribution to his generation by courageously addressing the subjects of suffering and death. In my opinion, his personal qualifications for such difficult assignments are unmatched by any other. Joseph Bailey buried three sons, an 18-day-old infant, a five-year-old victim of leukemia, and an 18-year-old who died of hemophilia complications after a sledding accident. Joseph's books, The View from the Horse, The Last Thing We Talk About, and Heaven, grew out of his bitter exposures to death. Shortly before the 18-year-old died, he became engaged to a very godly young woman. After his death and in the midst of her own sorrow, this young woman was deeply concerned about the sorrow of Joseph Bailey and his wife. She gave them a poem which had meant a great deal to her, verses written by a German pastor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, titled Next Year, 1945. Bonhoeffer had written it for his own fiancée just three months before he was taken by the Nazis and executed at the age of 39. He wrote the poem while in jail during World War II. The poem was delivered to his fiancée after his death, and she was responsible for its publication. Two of the seven stanzas read as follows. Should it be ours to drain the cup of grieving, even to the dregs of pain, at thy command, we will not falter, thankfully receiving all that is given by thy loving hand. While all the powers of good aid and attend us, boldly will face the future, be what it may, at even and at morn, God will befriend us, and oh, most surely on each New Year's Day. When Joseph Bailey wrote his book on heaven, he included this poem in his book. Twelve years after the death of Joseph's oldest son, and thirty years after Bonhoeffer's death, the Baileys received a letter from a young pastor in Massachusetts. This pastor told of visiting a woman in a Boston hospital who was seriously ill. On one of his visits, the pastor gave her a copy of Joseph's book, Heaven. The woman stayed up all night reading it, The next day, she told of the comfort and help it had brought her. Within a few days, she died. This woman had immigrated from Germany shortly after the war. Her name was Maria von Wiedermeyer. At the time when Bonhoeffer was imprisoned and executed, she was Bonhoeffer's fiancée. From Bonhoeffer to Maria, from Maria to another grieving fiancée, from this fiancée to the parent of the one she loved, from one of his books to other hurting people, then through a friend of his, back to Bonhoeffer's Maria as she lay dying in a Boston hospital. Folks, when you give away encouragement, you start a ripple effect like that of a rock in a pond. You don't know what's going to happen with that encouraging word, that written note, that compassionate touch that you give someone who needs to know that they're loved. Be an encourager. Come alongside someone in your path and give them the courage that they need. Look, listen, learn, and love. Reflect this aspect of our character, of the character of the one in whose image you were created.
and trust God to do great things with that encouragement as it's passed along to others. Do you want to be a person of influence? Be an encourager. Let's pray.